Again, good morning to everybody. Great to be together today. What a blessing to be together and to worship God here at this place and time. And again, all of our visitors, we're so appreciative of you being here. And if you're from this area especially, come back and see us over and over and over again. But if you're traveling, be safe as you go on. And when you're back in this area, come see us again. I was handed a, another announcement just after I sat down. Uh, Jason, uh, Jason's aunt, has, his aunt Connie, has improved. She was taken off the vent and is now in a rehab facility uh, to continue to recover and heal. Please continue to keep her in your prayers as well. I want you to think, mom and dad, you've got two or three little ones in the back seat. They're strapped in and you're taking a trip. It might be a 400, 500, 600 mile trip, but you're going to be in the car a long time today. You're driving along. You get 50 miles, 100 miles down the road. And then the little ones start asking the question, are we there yet? And you tell them, no, we're not there yet. Another 50 miles down the road, same question, isn't it? Are we there yet? And as you get farther and farther down the road, they're getting more and more restless and, are we there yet? And no telling how many times you might hear that question over that trip. In that one day, you get tired of hearing it, don't you? But it's a question on their mind. They're tired of traveling. They're tired of sitting. They're tired of being strapped in. Are we there yet? No amount of personal achievement or success in this life matters if we do not get to heaven. I want us to emphasize that thought in our minds. I've tried to get this across for decades in preaching and teaching. We think about all that we accomplish in life. We think about all of our goals, all of our challenges, all of our aspirations. And somewhere along the line, we may start to take inventory and think, yep, we got this done. The house is paid off. We got the car paid off. We don't have any outstanding bills. And, you know, our income is up to this. We've got this much money in savings accounts. Maybe we've got this, this much of, in investments and so on. And it goes on. Let me tell you, none of that matters if we don't get to heaven. If we don't get to heaven, it doesn't matter how much money will be in our bank accounts when we die or what kind of, of uh, notations will be on our professional achievements or what big a house we will have left behind. None of that will matter if we don't get to heaven. If we don't get to heaven, our life would have been a failure. Now, I'm not sure that, that, that really resonates with a lot of people, but that is the absolute bottom line truth. If we don't get to heaven, our life will have been an utter, utter failure. We will have not accomplished the, what should be the absolute number one goal in our living, getting to heaven. In 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 10, Peter gives us a picture in brief of that final day of judgment, when our Lord is going to come again. 
And so he wrote, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now notice when he says it will come, there's no question about that. There's going to be that day. It'll come as a, as a thief in the night. In other words, when we don't expect it, because we never expect a thief to show up at our home, do we? In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now understand those descriptions. When the Lord comes again, this world will have never seen such a day from a physical perspective. It's hard to imagine even. I don't think we really can fully imagine what it will be like when the Lord comes again and the heavens will pass away. Probably the understanding there is supposed to be they'll be kind of opened up like a scroll and a great noise, probably again like this world has never heard. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth and the works therein will be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner, what manner of persons ought, we, ought you to be, ought every one of us to be in all holy conduct and godliness, looking, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And that's reality. That's what's coming one day. Well, yeah, but that's probably going to be a million years off. Well, maybe not a million years, maybe thousands, tens of thousands of years off. Well, you know, maybe not. Yeah, we don't know when that day will come. And that's another point that, that the scriptures try to get across to us. It's going to come, but we don't know when. So when should we get ready? Right now. We should be ready every day. Now think about what that says. At judgment, this world and everything in it will be destroyed, basically cease to exist. It will melt with fervent heat. It'll be burned up. It'll be dissolved. It'll cease to exist. Now let's focus more in a detailed fashion. Every skyscraper office building, every business, every home, every bass boat, every family car, every basketball court, every golf course, every listing in who's who, every epitaph upon every tombstone, every bank account, it will all be gone. Every bit of it. And we'll be judged on the basis of our faithfulness, our righteousness before God, or the lack thereof. Think about that. We will be called to give account for how we have lived our lives. Romans 2 and verse 6, when the Lord comes again, he will render to every man according to his deeds. We can't say, well, what about so-and-so? No, it's, it's each one of us. It's personal. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone, every single one of us may give account of, uh, or may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. And there will not be any secrets on that day because in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, 
Paul wrote. No secrets that day. The Lord will know everything about us, every intricate detail. And God offers us salvation and eternal life through Jesus. He gives us the opportunity to be prepared for that day. He warns us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6 and verse 23. What a great hope God offers us. And we're not talking about a wild wish when we use that word hope in the New Testament scriptures. We're talking about the expectation of fulfillment. The being able to look forward to it with confidence. But we've got to first look at that other side of the ledger. We've got to be forgiven of our sins. Got to be forgiven of our sins. Jesus came into this world to call the lost those lost in sin, that is all mankind, to salvation. Luke 19 and verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Romans 3.23 says that's everybody. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God sent Christ into this world, bottom line, as identity. And we can talk about him being God the Son, we can talk about him being eternal. The first few verses of the gospel account according to John describes him as the word incarnate. But bottom line for us, he came as our savior to save us from the guilt and condemnation of our sins. In John chapter 3, beginning with verse 15, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. But as our savior, we've got to come to him as our savior. John the apostle wrote, in John, 1 John 4 and verse 9, this in this is the love of God was manifested toward us or made obvious, brought into the open toward us, demonstrated before us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And he's not talking there primarily about physical life. He's talking about live through him eternally, eternally. He was literally offered as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. Now, focus on that word offered because God the Father offered God the Son on that cross as our Savior, as the ultimate one time for all time sacrifice to personally pay the price for the guilt of our sins. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels in that he came in human form made a little lower than the angels that, that uh, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. It gets personal, doesn't it? He died on that cross for me. He died on that cross for you. Don't get lost in the anonymity of the big crowd of humanity. And say he died, the only thing of it is he died for everybody who's ever lived, whoever will live. He died for you personally. Because until you came to him, you were lost in sin. That's reality. 
God loves us that much. He offered his son on that cross. Hebrews 9 and verse 28, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. That to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Offered for us. Now, try to, try to get that image of the Old Testament animal sacrifices. They would have their throats cut. Blood would be sprinkled on the altar or around the altar. The meat would be burned and part of that would be offered to God as a sin offering. Jesus literally died on that cross. You think about what those Roman soldiers did to him, and Mark was bringing that out in class this morning. They beat him mercilessly, basically. Beat him in a way that, that we would not stand for in our culture, in our country today. Because we'd say that's barbaric, that's brutal, that's inhuman. But that was just the preparation before they nailed him to that cross. And then made a spectacle of him, supposedly, in their minds, through a long-lasting, brutal, torturous execution until he died. That's what they did to him. That, that's what God allowed. God sent him to that cross as the one time for all time perfect offering died on that cross because of your sins and mine. He was offered for us. We would be in a hopeless, helpless state without that sacrifice for us. Romans 5, beginning with verse 6, for when we were still without strength, in due time, at the right time, God sent his son, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will, will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, died for us, for you and for me. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, think about that, enemies of God because of our sins. If when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. And that, recon that word reconciliation or being reconciled means brought back into a right relationship with God. When God initially created mankind, he created them without sin, created us with a soul, and thereby in the likeness of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. But through sin, we taint that, that, that relationship with God. We mess it up. But he sent Jesus to the cross to be the perfect one time for all time sacrifice that through him as our savior, we can be brought back to God in the fullness of that relationship that he created us to have with him to begin with. 
to begin with. Jesus is our only savior. He is our only way to God. He is our only way to forgiveness. He is our only way to salvation. Only through him can we come to eternal life. But God says, I want you to come to me through him. I have all of this waiting for you. That's why I sent him to the cross as your savior. Jesus said in the night of his betrayal, the next day he'd be hanging on that cross. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts 4 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, the apostles said, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He is our Savior, our only Savior, our only way to God for forgiveness and redemption and salvation and eternal life. But God sent him to be that for us. Eternal life can be found only in him and only through him. John 20, beginning with verse 30, as John was closing, coming toward the end of closing his gospel account, he wrote, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 11, John the apostle wrote in this short letter, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God. He's writing this to Christians at that time that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. Now, He's also writing this for the instruction and learning of those who are not yet Christians, who have not yet been baptized into Christ so that the blood that he shed on the cross could cleanse us of the guilt of our sins. How blessed we are to have such a loving God, so personally loving for each one of us. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to be with him forever in heaven, but he leaves the choice up to us. Freedom from sin and eternal life, again, is found only in Christ. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 22. Think about the frame of reference here, the depth of meaning. Paul wrote, but now having been set free from sin. Some people might think, well, I can, yeah, I can sin a little bit here and there. It's no big deal. When you're living in sinful lifestyle, you're, you're a slave of sin. But through Christ, we can be set free. Now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands. Mine would be the first one to go up. 
How many of us take a whole bunch of vitamins every day? Whole bunch of supplements. I take a handful or handful and a half every day. Why? Because we want to be healthy. And they say you take all of these, it's going to help your heart, it's going to help your, your breathing, it's going to help your, your, your muscles and your physical well-being, your stamina and all of that and on and on and on. I haven't found one that I've, I'm convinced will grow hair yet though. But all of these are supposed to make us better and they're supposed to help us extend our life. But you know what? We're still going to die, aren't we? Even if we live to be 110, 120, we're still going to die physically. Because the Hebrews writer says it's appointed for us to die once. But what comes next is what really ought to keep our attention or, or grab our attention. Because he goes on and says, and after this, the judgment. But God, he's not talking about, I want to give you a magic pill that's going to make you live 120 years. He's talking about I'm giving you a savior through whom, if you will come to me through him in repentance of your sins and surrender in baptism, the blood that I sent him to shed on that cross will cleanse you of the guilt of your sins and you will have everlasting life, life without end. Salvation through Christ is the basic message basically of this entire book but boiled down certainly the basic message of the gospel acts 2 and verse 36 peter on pentecost told that crowd of thousands of jewish men gathered there listening therefore let all the house of israel know assuredly that god has made this jesus whom you crucified you rejected him but that did not stop, that did not change who he is. And that did not change God's ultimate identity and purpose for him in sending him to this earth. God has made him both Lord and Christ, both Lord and Christ. And then down to verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Do you think there's ever been a generation since the flood that has been more perverse than this generation in which we are living right now? I'm not, I'm probably though, everybody who has come before us in every generation before us has probably thought something along the same line. We need to be saved from the sinfulness that in which we have been engaged and which is all around us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the gospel message guides us to that forgiveness and salvation. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God. The message of the gospel embodies the power of God if we will believe it and obey it for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. That's why Jesus told the apostles to go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. Mark 16, 15 and 16. As Luke recorded that great commission in Luke 24, 47, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
And we are called to salvation through that gospel message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for excuse me, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel message, that's a message of salvation, a message of forgiveness, a message of redemption, a message of eternal life. But we're not there yet, are we? Not yet in heaven. The scriptures guide us to faith that leads to salvation in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul reminded young Timothy that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, no wonder then that Paul said a chapter earlier, Study or be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, immerse yourself in God's word on an ongoing basis because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to be diligent students of God's word. We shouldn't look for just surface level dedication and study. How much do I have to do to be, to be acceptable to God? We need to immerse ourselves in God's word and worship to him and being with the church as much as we possibly can be because we don't want to take the chance of having just done the bare minimum in our mind. God says, why did you do just the bare minimum? Look at what I did for you. I sent my son to give you the opportunity to be with me for all of eternity. Where's your dedication? Where's your commitment? Heaven is where all of us should want to be. Above all else. Above all else. Every single one of us should say, I want to be in heaven for all of eternity. That's my ultimate goal. But are we there yet? Are we there yet? Philippians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Paul wrote, not that I have, and he's speaking from his own personal perspective on his personal life. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to have achieved the goal yet. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Are we there yet? Obviously not. 
That's the sense of what Paul was getting across there, even in his own life as a divinely appointed apostle, as a powerful preacher of the gospel, as one who had led probably countless souls to salvation through Jesus Christ in preaching and teaching and helping establish congregations in, over a widespread of the earth at that time. He still says, I'm not there yet. I, I'm, I'm still pressing forward toward the goal. I want to get there by God's blessings and grace and his help and his strength. And indeed, Paul tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, he's not saying make it up on your own. No, God has given us the plan of salvation. But he says, now, live your life once you have become a true, forgiven, saved Christian. Live your life in such a way as to be confident. You can be confident. You can be assured because you're living by God's teachings of eternal life with him in heaven. Live that life. When Paul writes these particular statements in these two texts of scripture, obviously he's saying we're not there yet. We have to stay focused. We have to stay determined because we're not there yet. Now, I want to bring a second part of this particular study next time. I want us to look at how we can make sure that we get there in the second half of this study. But as we're here at this point, bringing this first section to a close, what needs to come to our mind and be ingrained in our mindset, we're not there yet. But God assures us that we can have confidence of being there. But if we will live that life that he guides us to live through his word, if we will come to him through our Savior, whom he sacrificed for us on that cross. Have you been baptized into Christ? immersed in the waters for the remission of your sins, for salvation, to come into Christ, to become reborn spiritually, to be that new creation spiritually? If not, you need to get that in your understanding as a basic, fundamental, foundational point of obedience. If you've done that, have you become careless, lackadaisical, slipping back into some lack or weak, weakness of dedication. Come back to God through Christ. Pray for forgiveness. Repent of that lackadaisicalness. We'd love to help you either way if you'll just let us know as we stand together and sing.